Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 107 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where... We talk all about how women can be anything they want, as long as they don't want to be president, an Oscar-winning director, or a person with an opinion. (laughs) I am Karen Peterson, joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello! (laughs) And this week, we have a very special guest, Courtney Howard. Hello! Hi! Thanks for having me on. It's so fun to be here. Thank you for joining us. We're really glad to have you here this week. We needed other people to be angry with us, and you've had some really big reasons to get angry this week. But before we get to that, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and where you write and all that? Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I am a film critic and also a film journalist, and sometimes those things are at war with each other. Um, But uh, I have a nice balance that I like to keep. Uh, I write at, I do film reviews, and I've written a few pieces, uh, a few uh, profiles and stuff on at Variety, and I also write for FreshFiction.tv, and occasionally I will do some guest appearances on awards circuit too which is always fun and a very supportive crew there and um it's fun i like it i love doing what i do um i know that sometimes opens me up since i'm a woman with an opinion it opens me up to a lot of criticism myself but i have very thick skin but sometimes things just crawl under my skin and just frustrate me and anger me more than anything, more than like uh, traditionally like upsetting me, you know, but it is upsetting in the grand grand term of like the grand scale of things like is this what humanity is now? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so sorry to get existential at the end of my introduction, but that's who I am and that's what I do. We do that every week. <laughs> this is a very existential <laughs> podcast. Just like, I'm just, I'm just so angry. And then the world, what is the wrong with the world? Like, what is meaning? There is yes. no meaning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's exactly like that. It's like, I know that Twitter's not the world per se, but like, it's really empowered the worst people to think that they have a platform and that they need to use it and uh, be mean to people. I just think yeah. that's just so wrong. There's so many people out there that think they have that, like they have a right to force their opinion on others and that I have an obligation to listen to them. And exactly. I don't get that. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, crazy to me but um, it is crazy yeah well and this week has just been particularly challenging um it was it was a little bit weird for me because and I've talked about this before I grew up in a very conservative household I was a Republican for 20 years I quit the Republican mm-hmm. party in 2016 mm-hmm. after they nominated Trump and I said no uh-uh no I'm not doing mm-hmm. this and I left and um 
And it was weird being from such a conservative background this year. I really got behind Elizabeth Warren and not just because, oh, fine, I want a woman to be president. Like, I actually genuinely like Elizabeth Warren. She -hmm. seems like a really good, smart, capable person, someone who's willing to work with people. You know, I I don't want to turn this into a campaign ad because obviously that ship has sailed. But um, but it was just really emotional for me when she had to withdraw from the race and, and things. And I got into a conversation with a friend that I have literally known since second grade. And he's always been a really, you know, one of the good guys. And he starts trying to explain to me how her, what happened with her campaign was not sexism and that guys just, you know, like a whole lot of people just wanted someone who could win. And I'm like, okay, if you didn't think that she could win, how is that not sexist? And Yesterday, he finally apologized, and he's like, I realized I was explaining sexism to a woman, and that's really stupid. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. I didn't even have to be the one to point that out to you. But anyway, well, yeah. It's nice that he ha- had that realization, and yeah, because uh, most people don't. Most yeah. people don't. So, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, I, I don't know. The whole thing is very weird because I'm, I mean, I was, I'm from a very liberal bra- background. I'm like, you know, in, in terms of ideology, I'm probably more aligned with Sanders than just about anybody. But I, I wanted Warren. I, she was definitely partially because, uh, partially because she's a woman. I'm going to admit that, like that actually did mean something to me, but just everything that she said and everything that she was talking about, I was like, this is not only something that I agree with. It's something that I think she can actually do. Yeah. And, and I don't, believe that really with Sanders and in fact some of the things that he represents I'm just a little bit like I I'm not certain whether I mean I might be kind of nice but I don't think you're going to be able to do the things that you say you're going to do and then you're going to get mad that (laughs) that you aren't Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's well and and the whole argument that oh this doesn't have anything to do with sexism is bullshit like it, it is there is sexism you know is it all sexism probably not but there is definitely a factor in there, and I think that it's I think that anyone who doesn't recognize that or anyone who denies it is is just really not paying attention and is not and is not aware of the way that this is that our society operates right now. Yeah, well, I really liked what she was saying in the press conference when she said, "If you say it's sexism, everyone calls you a whiner." And if you say it's not, then everyone all the women say, "What planet are you living on?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was it was emotionally challenging those few days. But on top of that, there was just all this other bullshit that just kept <laughs> happening. And it was just like, what is I, I don't understand. Like it, the world just imploded. It's like coronavirus has infected everyone's brains, even if they don't <laughs> have the virus. And I just I yeah, I don't get it. So um, let's let's uh, talk about what happened with you, Courtney, this week and kind mm-hmm. of what uh, instigated you reaching out and, and being on the show this, this week. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it was, <clears throat> it was sort of like an amalgamation of things, but um, what sort of, I sent out a tweet this week. Um, do you, I can read it. Should I read it? Yeah, go for it. Should we read the tweet? Yeah. Um, I had tweeted finding it exhausting that every single time, there's a female-led film out, at least one male critic, never of note, complains about how she didn't give him a boner. It'll happen again with Mulan, Wonder Woman 1984, and Black Widow. But please, dudes and their editors, stop it. Um, so even I was like a week late on sending out this tweet. It was sort of inspired by um, 
granted a terrible website, Breitbart's review of The Invisible Man. Um, and basically, he's got a whole, he goes on, I, know, I usually don't read these things, but um, <clears throat> it gets passed around so much on mm-hmm. film Twitter. I hate saying that, but film Twitter, where you can't not see it. Um, So I don't go searching for this sort of thing, but I read his little jag on the whole thing about how he says Elizabeth Moss isn't hot enough to actually inspire a guy to want to make her make her stay and all this junk, which is basically she didn't give him a boner. So he doesn't understand the whole premise of the movie. Like he can't buy into the movie because she's not hot enough. And I just think that's fucking bullshit. And that is just not a part of film criticism and I don't know where this started. I don't know if it started with Rex Reed and his snarky reviews of criticizing women and men's bodies. I just find it abhorrent. And I just think that that's just not cool. Like I I just don't find it a part of film criticism. Um, But this has happened many, many times before it's happened with Tomb Raider. Um, I can't remember. Was it bleeding cool? Uh, the critic there at Bleeding Cool was like, oh, she can't be, Alicia Vikander can't be Laura Croft because her tits aren't big enough. And then they had to, like, after public outcry, they had to edit that out. But it was only after public outcry. You guys should have had this sort of compass or whatever. You should have, this is just common sense. You don't, you just, this is not cool. It's just, you don't criticize women's bodies like that. Um, and it, of course, it was a dude critic. Um, this happened with Dora the Explorer, too, um, saying, like, <laughs> I'm sorry, of all I things. Want, I just want to pause there. Dora the Explorer. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. like, I th- we actually talked about this when it came out. The men talking about her body and, like, oh, she's she's supposed to be young, but she's actually obviously not. It's like, what the fuck is happening? Like, mm-hmm. it's very disturbing. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just, like... I. The fact that that even happened with Dora the Explorer just shocks me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it happened, too, with, um, I think it was the New Yorker. It wasn't Richard Brody, but it was too. the other. The Incredibles, too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anthony Lane. Anthony yes. Lane, who I usually <laughs> like in a lot of mm-hmm. different ways. is Yeah. So, so what are you on, man? Yeah. Like, so, calm down. And I'm curious if it was, like, I think somebody brought it up in my feed, too, which I'm sure it might be. It might be one of those things where the dumb editors are like, we need to make a name with this. We need Mm -hmm. to stoke public criticism and just put some inflammatory things in there. Although I've never gotten that note from any of my editors, but um, to like put something, put something inflammatory in there. I don't know if I'm, I don't think I'm naturally inflammatory when I write, but like, I've never gotten any sort of note like that. So I will say that for like my editors, but I don't know if these sites that do it are like, we got to do it. But I think it's just an inherent way that they're thinking. I think it's just built in. And even again, my tweet was like a week late on the whole Breitbart thing. So I didn't really think anything of it, but of course, like Twitter is cyclical in their reaction where you get a lot of support at first. And then it turns into intense hatred. You are an evil woman. And it just keeps going around the circle until it just comes back to full circle. Um, So I got a lot of support at first. But then it also, of course, drew out uh, the men who either mansplain 
uh, oh, well, if it's no one of note, then like, then what are you worried about? And then I'd have to like, you know, temper down my anger a little bit to like, just say like, oh, well, here's why it's not just one incident. It's multiple incidents of this. And again, it's every time a female led film is out where male critics feel like they need to say something about her body. Like when a male, like I never say anything about Keanu Reeves's body when he's like doing his John Wick movies. I don't say anything about Tom Cruise's body when he's doing his movies. Like that is just unfathomable to me. But um, I got a lot of, as my husband calls them, maggots uh, (laughs) coming out of the woodwork to criticize me. At first they're like, At first, they're like sort of, you know, uh, quietly uh, anti-feminist where they don't show themselves. But of course, you know, you click on their profile and they show their asses. But then like uh, not literally, but um, they show themselves for who they are. So, of course, then you sort of know who you're arguing with. Um, But there was one guy who was like, uh, oh, God, what, what led up to his thing? I think it's probably still on there. I know I wound up blocking a lot of people. Um, there was one guy who was like, oh, because women don't sexualize men with the same frequency. Yes, they do. To which I responded, I suggest you actually start reading female film critics reviews and rethink your uninformed response. Mm -hmm. Um, there was multiple people. There was one guy who was like, um, oh God, what did he say? Oh God, it was so stupid. But I basically responded with, I bet you're hit with all the ladies, um, (laughs) to which made him really get angry. Um, and then start just going off on this other tangent about feminism. And then that's when I just blocked him. I'm like, you're not fun to talk to. He's he's definitely not a hit with the ladies. (laughs) You really hit him where it hurt. Oh God. Oh, you can see by his profile. He is not a hit with the ladies. Yeah, it was something like, oh, women don't want to be complimented on their looks. And I was like, excuse me? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, But were you going to say something? Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I mean, sure, we talk about certain actors being hot or or actresses all the time, like on this podcast, just on Twitter or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I would never put that in a review. It has no place when you're talking about a film. And usually in the times that I'm talking about that, it's in a completely different context. It's not in an analytical analysis of, you know, somebody's work Mm -hmm. because that's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't understand. I mean, I am an editor and if someone turned in a review to me that had anything like any of those things we were just talking about, I would send it back to them and be like, yeah, take this out. This is ridiculous. Or I would just Mm -hmm. remove it myself. You know, but I just, I don't, I don't get why these editors keep letting this stuff through. Well, and I, I think, I think that there is a, um, a power dynamic thing going on here. So when we talk about, when when we just talk in passing about men's bodies to say like, you know, Chris Hemsworth is hot in, um, that's an objective fact. I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, first of all, but I mean, and you know, we, we've also said that Margot Robbie is hot in, um, Birds of Mm -hmm. Prey, you know, all, all of that kind of thing. But there is, there's an inherent power imbalance particularly when you have women talking about men's bodies because ultimately what many of the men who are talking are doing is objectifying them they're turning them into objects they're turning into them into things that they consume and that they that they possess at some level 
women simply because of the nature of our culture, right? And so, and because of the nature of cinema, don't possess male bodies in the same way. There is not an inherent threat. Right. There is not an inherent sense that these are th- that they are things that we own. There is with men, and I think that that's something that a lot of male critics and, and some some female critics don't completely process. They're just like, well, but you said that Chris Hemsworth was hot, therefore, you know, I can talk about how Elisa Vikander's breasts are not big enough for Lara Croft or something like that. It's like, okay, you don't understand the dynamic that is actually going on here, and and you need to understand that before we actually have this conversation. And it goes back to things like the male gaze. It goes back to issues of the female mm-hmm. gaze. I mean, you know, and and in talking about this, I, there are, you know, you said they're very often they're not critics of notes. Sometimes there are. I mean, Anthony Lane, mm-hmm. as we just mentioned, um, Richard Brody. I remember Richard Brody when Hustlers came out having a fucking meltdown because <laughs> because he because he I didn't, could not I didn't find, see that one. He couldn't find a male character to identify with. Yeah, like, and he got up. <laughs> He got upset oh that like, God. oh, there's this one guy and they don't talk about him. And like, what what is his story? It's just like, you do know that this is literally not the point of the movie. Like, and, and you see that. I mean, honestly, go back and read, you know, he's a beloved critic, but go back and read some of uh, Roger Ebert's uh, reviews. There are times when he slips into these very sexist commentary on women's bodies, on women's attractiveness, on on this whole thing about like, well, I want, you know, she is, this is a good movie because I, it makes the male viewer want to protect her. Uh, mm. And and stuff like that, and and you see that in you know, <clears throat> critics. So this is a this is a consistent thing. So I do think that it, it's important to point out and say like this is not okay anymore, guys. We're we're not doing this anymore. This is this is sexist. This is bordering on misogyny. Um, you don't you know no. And also, no one gives a shit about your dick. Like honestly, I, I don't care. The, all of those guys who were going on about in Birds of Prey, just like, well, they're not hot enough. It's just like, wait a minute. First of all, you're looking at Margot Robbie. And you're like, oh, she's not hot enough. Like, I don't know what is the matter with you. Um, second of all, it doesn't matter. It's not for you. It's mm-hmm. this isn't about whether or not you can get it up in the movie theater. I don't care. Like, no one cares. Your dick is not that important. And and that I think does bother them because they've been taught for many for their entire lives that their dick is that important. There is one guy on now. (laughs) (laughs) Your dick is not that important. (laughs) There was one guy on here that went off uh, because Alicia uh, Grousow retweeted me, and uh, this one guy went off. talking about the bop costumes and I didn't specify which movies I was talking about but of course everybody just is assuming these things but this one guy starts going off about how he said it's not about that it's about looking good the bop costumes were terrible and Alicia had a great response which was they were pretty great actually and also yeah there were men out there complaining that they weren't sexy enough. So maybe don't argue with her. So then he goes on even lot, like he then goes on to a different part of the thread of my conversations to once again, explain why he thinks the Bob costumes are terrible looking and blah, 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 like blah, blah, you know, just going off again. And I'm like, block, like, you are uh, like, uh, you know, I be- I sent him like the Jennifer Lawrence, like, mm-hmm, okay, sure, whatever. Um, but then I just blocked him because it's like, 
this wasn't a pulpit for you. And who are you? You're not even a film critic. If this wasn't addressed to you, why are you commenting? Like, that's also what I don't understand about mm-hmm. Twitter of like, so many men on here, like, and these weren't even the worst responses that I got. The worst responses were one guy who I think is now off Twitter. He only had like 12 followers, but he said his response was, you give me a boner, which I was like, that is uncalled for. Once it starts getting sexualized comments, I was like, that's uncalled for. You get reported. And then I encourage all my, my followers to start to all my friends to uh, block him and report him as well. One guy um, says, this drives me crazy. Please provide a link to one of these types of reviews. I'm curious to see what you're talking about. Uh No, I will absolutely not be doing the work for you. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait, here, I have them all saved in my folder of sadness. Let me send them to you. Like, no, I'm not going to provide links to for you to be like, well, I don't really see it. So therefore, you were a woman who is lying. Like, go fuck yourself. No, they always want us to prove everything for them. Do all the research for them. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't Mm -hmm. even tell you how often it's. It's at least more than once a month. I get. I get questions from men asking me for some suggestions of some great female directed films or great movies about, you know, whatever. And it's like, Google it. I don't like, <laughs> yeah. why? <laughs> yeah. It's in like, our, it's, it's sorry. Like, in our like male counterparts do not get this sort of shit. No, mm-hmm. They don't get they don't. these responses. And that's what drives me crazy. And I was, I um, spoke at a film class, a film criticism class for one of my, uh, friends in Alaska, uh, uh, and he was even pointing out the fact he's like, he's like, you're really good at Twitter, but he's like, I've noticed some of the responses you get are totally out of left field than what <laughs> me and my other male counterparts get. And I was like, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's what I don't get. Like, if you sent out the same tweet that I got, that I just got shipped for, you wouldn't have, you'd have barely any response. Right. Like, but it's because I'm a woman, I'm getting all of these sort Actually, of shitty responses. Yeah, no, if a man sent out the same exact tweet, his responses would be from <clears> a <throat> lot of women going, yes, thank you, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's the responses mm-hmm. you would get. It's it's that reply guy mentality. The the mm-hmm. guys, the guys that, and many of them, many of them are um, well-meaning, I guess. They don't, like, they're not as toxic as just the guy, the guys who are going off just like, you're, you're, you're an evil feminist, you know? I've, mm. I've, had, I've had people say that to me. It's just like, well, femin- feminists want to murder male babies. And I was finally like, I think that yeah, we're going to, we're going to block you now. Um, yeah. It's getting a little dark. Uh, but, but yeah, but you get the guys who are just like, well, tell me, you know, list for me all of the, the female, uh, or all of the feminist theorists that that I should be reading. And I'm like, you can literally Google the words feminist film theory, and you will get a list Mm -hmm. of books of the top feminist film theorists. Like, I don't, I shouldn't be doing the same thing with the female directors, all of that stuff. But it, Mm -hmm. it is this mentality that like, you have to show your work. You have to prove it. And if there is something, if you show your work, right, the problem is you, then you get mm-hmm. sucked into it. Then you say, like, okay, uh, all right, well, so here, here's an example. And you show it. Just like, well, that one doesn't, that doesn't bother me. Therefore, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, exactly. you literally made me do your research for you. And then you used that against me in order to 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 say that I am obviously wrong and therefore none of this ever happens. And mm-hmm. it's like, 
I, I, you can't win. You can't win with these guys. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately, it, it is exhausting because you're sitting there going like, I know that this is true. If you actually paid attention, you would know that this was true. But you're not going to pay attention. And it's not going to help me sending you anything or telling you to read this or telling you to read that. First of all, because I don't believe that you're actually going to do it. And second of all, because you're just mm-hmm. going to use it against me in the end. But right. this really is about you making me do your labor for you. Yeah. Right. And no one... Uh, none of these guys know how to read for content. They can barely read a tweet all the way through. <laughs> one guy's response was, you're exhausted by at least one male critic? Take a nap. So I responded to him. I said, read the fucking tweet and then shut your fucking mouth. So it's just like, they can't even read, let alone like one tweet that's like barely two, three sentences, let alone actual film critic like bad film criticism that says these things in there and they will not be able to read between the lines like they do not have that skill so yeah even if i sent them links here 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 he'd be like well none of them say boners so (laughs) you can't uh you can't have this argument one guy was like no one is saying that no one and so somebody else chimed in was like no actually she's correct there's a history of this star Wars, captain Marvel, blah, 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 blah. And starts going off. And then the guy starts arguing with this other guy. And it's like, why can't you just believe women? Why can't you just believe what I'm saying? I'm not making this up to get hits. Like Mm -hmm. this isn't my thing to do that sort of thing. And a lot of these people are just randoms and I can ignore them, but then they start populating my mentions And I muted the conversation, like, for a while, once you start seeing that, it's slipping into the bad uh, part of the circle. Mm -hmm. Then uh, I I usually hit the mute conversation, but I came back to it, and it was just like, what is wrong with the state of humanity? (laughs) Like, I know Twitter isn't the the whole world, but if this is, like, the keyboard warriors – Um, these people still exist. They're not all bots. Like, Mm -hmm. sure, they may not have, like, some of these guys may not have a huge following and who cares, but these are still feelings that humans have. These humans, barely human, um, they don't have any humanity in them. And it's sad to sort of start thinking of that and spiraling into that. And so that's what frustrates me more than it's not an upsetting thing. I'm not upset about this. Again, I have the thickest skin for this sort of thing. I haven't lasted for this long without having a uh, thick skin. Like my husband reads these comments and he's like, I don't know how you deal with it. He's like, he starts investigating all these guys. And I was like, <laughs> Jeff, you can't do that. Like, just let it go. And he's like, Oh, like, he's like, I get worried that someone's going to dox us. And I was like, I don't write those sorts of things. Like I don't, I don't do that sort of like fear mongering type things, yeah. but uh, yeah. So that's why I'm on this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, but it, I do think that it is indicative of, of a certain swath of the culture, at least. I mean, because you're talking about something that is something that male critics do. And as we've just mm-hmm. said, it's it's there. It's real, history right? It's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the fact that there are then these random men who, you know, are comparatively not particularly important, at least definitely not in the world of film criticism or everything, but mm-hmm. that, that are saying, like, either this is okay or this is normal or this doesn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. That is indicative of the of the nature of the culture and the nature of um, 
of the way that we treat media and, and everything like that. We've, we've lived for years with this sort of the default of the man. And, and, and it's not just a man. It's the default of the straight white male. Um, and we're finally getting to a point where maybe we're, a, a lot of people are questioning that default again. And mm-hmm. the fact that there are so many people who are then angry about it and are reacting against it and being like, you know, how dare you? You know, uh, my view is objective. Well, the, the, the birds of prey costumes are just not nice. It's just like that. That's just the truth. Right. And it's like, OK, mm-hmm. well. Well, why, you know, first of all, it's not truth. It's your opinion, which you're perfectly, it's, you can hold that opinion. Um, But you're approaching this from a very particular perspective, whereas, you know, that there's, there's been this, this tendency for them to see themselves as the default. And suddenly they're being told, well, you're not the default anymore. And they're mad about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty terrible and I don't know if it's ever I don't think it's ever going to shift like I said I don't believe that me and my insignificant you know tweet is going to like change the world and be like you know what like you know like the Richard Brody's or the you know Anthony Lane's of the world are going to be like you know what she's right the Breitbart's of the world are going to be like she's right. We're not, we're going to cut this out. Like that's not the world we live in. So there is going to be like one guy was like wrong. I don't think this is going to happen with black widow. And I told him, I was like, I hope you're right, but there is going to be, there's going to be one person that won't do it. And if these gals suits are not skin tight enough or they're not showing cleavage, then here we go again. Mm -hmm. Um, and then one person, the person who I said was sort of like mansplaining, like he even said at the risk of sounding like a mansplainer, he's like, if it's going to be one significant dude trash talking, who cares? Which, sure, okay, I'll use this as a teaching point. Um, I said, you know, it's a buildup of these things. And they, those terrible takes like proliferate my Twitter feed for days after people dragging them and retweeting the ignorance. And it just gets too much for me. Like, I can't just mute the person, the original person who tweeted it out, uh, because I don't want to mute that person if they're, like, somebody I talk to or something like that. So it just stays in my Twitter feed for days. And I I don't think that we should not call it out as we see it, because it should be called out for sure. So I don't want to get that. I don't want that to be the takeaway message here. But yeah. it's just I, I just want people to stop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I will I just, say. I just want them to stop yeah. it at the start. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this won't help for messages that go big and viral, like what we're talking about with what happened to you. And especially when they're getting retweeted and shared a bunch of times. But one thing that I recently discovered, thanks to my male coworker, who's pretty awesome, um, he taught me the power of the K. And that is when someone's being stupid and they just keep arguing with you, it's not even just a GIF. You just send the letter K. And there's (laughs) nothing more they can say. And it really does end the conversation because then they're just like, oh. And he's like, the thing about men is they're pissed, but they know there's nothing more they can say or do about it. And they stop. And so I was just like, I didn't believe him. And I tried Mm -hmm. it. And I've done it a couple Mm -hmm. of times and it really does work. It's amazing. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I just I don't know I struggle with like if I respond I'm giving them the attention that they want and 
Um, I don't want to give it any air in my brain. Like I've got better things to do with my life than sit here and argue with this person. But so that's something I struggle with. I don't know if you guys do. Oh yeah, I definitely yeah. do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very tempting to get pulled into that. And I, I do it all the time. And then I'm sitting there going like, why am I doing this? Oh my God. Yeah. Stop. Just stop. And yeah, I'm it's... telling you, that's why I've started. <laughs> like when I see that it's going that way, like I'll respond once if they say something. And then if they keep mm-hmm, like, trying mm-hmm. to argue with me, I have, I've done that. I just send the letter K that's it. And they stop. So because mm-hmm. I think they realize they're not going to get anywhere. It's this, this mm-hmm. like some of them probably think, oh, all right, they they beat me down, they won, and that's fine. I don't care if they think that as long as they leave me alone, because I know that they didn't win anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. Oh man, but uh, why do they uh, have to just? Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Why do they have to? Why does why does any like, like I don't know? I don't, don't have that in me that where. Sentence. Why do they have yeah. to encompass this, like pretty much everything? <laughs> <laughs> it, it just it goes back to it goes back to the ubiquitous why are men yeah <laughs> like yeah. why 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 yeah. are men and it's and sadly like and I don't want to sound sexist saying because there's a lot of good men out mm-hmm. there and I don't want to be all not all men right. but like there's a lot of good men out there who don't do this shit or who do engage in a positive manner or or whatever um I got a lot of followers like that who I enjoy speaking with yeah. and having nuanced conversations but. Twitter's just not that place for, like, true engagement. Um, But I just, I don't understand. There's not a lot of women who, I mean, there are women who do this, too. Like, I, you know, like the Sasha Stones of the world who will go out and, like, make it a point to also be the reply gal to these sorts of situations, too, and feel like she needs to say her opinion on, on top of someone else's. But, like... You know, I don't have that in me. I don't understand, like, if somebody says something that's, like, patently wrong, maybe I'll, like, be stirred enough to, like, tweet them something. But most of the time, I'm just like, whatever, who cares? I've got better things to do with my time than sit here and argue. It isn't as ubiquitous in female culture, and I do think that it goes it goes back to the sense of entitlement and, you know, no, my perspective is the objective one, and your perspective, because you're a woman, is the subjective one, the one that, well, you can think that, but it's not true, mm-hmm. um, because it, it, it conflicts with mine. And, and you see that in conversations, including, again, in, in conversations with perfectly well-meaning men who consider themselves allies, et cetera, but then just hit a, they might hit a wall where they're like, I don't get it. And, mm-hmm. and they think that them not getting it is your fault is really because it's not true. Not because they might be experiencing the world from a, a very privileged position. Oh man. It's just, it just gets exhausting sometimes. And like, you know, you send these things out into the world, you send your, you know, tweets that you don't really think much of, but that, you know, may be important things that you're just sort of sitting here thinking about. Mm -hmm. And you don't think that they're going to like stir as much conversation. Like I never know what's going to hit. I don't know what's going to hit or what's going to be a miss. Um, You know, things that I yeah, Good. there was one day I had gone, I was at a screening, so I had turned off my phone, you know, and when I turned it back on, and I don't remember what I had tweeted about. It was a movie. It was like a year or two ago, but I had tweeted a response to someone else's tweet and 
um, I went into the movie, I shut off my phone, when I came back out, I turned it on, and going on Twitter, and I had, like, 60 mentions, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and it got just, you know, your heart drops, right? Yeah. You're suddenly yeah. like, oh, God. Yeah. Oh, please kill me now. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, no. And then it turned out I'd been added to someone's moment, which was even uh, worse, oh, and it was like, yes. yeah. And it just didn't oh, my stop God. for, like, a week. And I was just like, When you yeah. get added to a Twitter moment. I'm sorry, I thought moment. something. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I had that I had that this week with with a tweet that was referencing a different tweet that I just happened to have thought about. Oh, right, and your lighthouse tweet. But yeah, the yeah. portrait of a lady on fire, uh, lighthouse. So mm-hmm. so yeah, ba- basically just that. Oh, portrait of a lady on fire is what happens when women are left alone on an island, <laughs> and the lighthouse is what happens when men are left alone on an island. And I sort of. Spun out a little bit from that. Like I, I added one extra tweet. I don't know what happened. I don't know who retweeted me or who responded or how how this occurred. But suddenly I was just getting like replies upon replies upon replies. I just kept on getting notifications. Um, and and first of all, someone was just like, "Well, you stole the thought." I was like, "I literally said this was a tweet that I mm-hmm. saw. I don't mm-hmm. remember where it came from. This is not my original idea. I didn't steal anything because I literally said that it wasn't my original idea. I don't know what is happening right now." <laughs> um, although my my personal favorite was I did I for the most part I got fairly good responses, but but I did get a couple of reply guys, and one one guy was like, "This is in this is inaccurate. There were <laughs> other women on the island with them," and I was like literally says women alone on an island yes they there are other women because they're women and that's the point of what i just i like the guy i liked the guy who was all uh well but the other two guys that were on the that were doing the lighthouse before them were fine and someone else replied you don't know what happened to the third guy It was just, it was very, yeah, I got, I mean, and, and then people were mad at me for saying women and men and because it was gender <sighs> binary. And then I was like, this is, but that's the movies. That's what, and then someone else was like, well, they're bisexual. I was like, I don't know what that has to do with anything. They're definitely lesbians. Like, <laughs> I don't even, I can't, I, what is happening? Yeah. Yeah. And they all identify as the as the like gender that they are like as they're all cisgendered people so like what does that have to again it goes back to people do not read for context they don't read for content so they're just like my opinion um so yeah uh there's um i was reading this thread i got caught in it this morning sometimes (laughs) i wake up super early and can't get back to sleep so i'll cruise twitter for things to like, I, I shouldn't cruise Twitter to see what will make me sort of fall back asleep. Cause sometimes <laughs> it just angers me. But there was one thread where it was a gal saying like, there's parts of Twitter. She had no idea it even existed, but she sent out a tweet about feeding birds. Uh, I'll retweet this later, but it's a fascinating thread, but it was about, she didn't know there was sections, subsections of Twitter until she sent out a tweet about feeding ducks bread and that you shouldn't do it. Um, But she, she was saying that she kept feeding ducks bread and there was a whole subsection of Twitter that got angry at her and just like really just came down on her. So she was asking people what their most like, what subsection of Twitter 
they didn't know existed. And so there's this whole thread, hundreds of comments, and they were so funny and fascinating. So, like, people have opinions on things you would not think of. (laughs) I remember (laughs) being uh, called homophobic because I said Timothy Chalamet. Not because I said my opinion on who should win, but because I said Timothy Chalamet was not going to win Best Actor for Call Me By Your Name. I was homophobic for that. Like, Whoa. it went on for weeks. Yeah, it was Ugh. crazy. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but, I mean, I, I do think Twitter does spiral out sometimes, and you mm-hmm. run into the, you, you suddenly depart from it, just like, oh, there are even more crazy people than I realized. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and the problem is that it gets all absorbed into legitimate arguments. It's just like, there are, there are legitimate issues of homophobia and racism and right. sexism and all this stuff. Yes. And then, but then people go off on something that's just like, because I don't agree with X or because I don't like X, therefore you're a gender essentialist. And it's like, I, these things don't connect to each other. Or like I don't I'm under- doing my job and making a prediction about yeah, what's exactly. going to happen. That has nothing to do with my opinion on whether it should. Exactly. <laughs> well, spiraling out from that do we want to talk about Woody Allen (laughs) yeah well actually I was also gonna say too uh something else that started going on I don't know if this was last night or this morning this is actually back to the portrait of a lady on fire and Adele Hanel she was uh you know people have been talking about we and we talked about this last week where she walked out of the Cesar Awards in France when Mm -hmm. Roman Polanski won best director um and Celine Sciamma went on, went out with her too, and a couple of other people from the film. Well, now Olivier Carbone, who's a casting director, I don't know if you saw this this morning, Lauren. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, he did. yeah. He's saying like, oh well, she's gonna get blacklisted essentially, and she good, good for her. Her career's dead because she did this, and it's just another one of those things. And there's a bunch of people that are jumping in to say like, yeah, good, she should lose her career over it. It's like, wait, why are we protecting? And defending a guy who admitted what he did and were totally willing to destroy the career of a woman of a woman who has a feeling about it, you know, and is mad about it and doesn't want to support that. And it's yeah. Well, and she's she just recently got repped by like CAA or something mm-hmm. like that. So she I, I, I think that her career is fine. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, she's got like a couple movies coming out uh, and uh, she's got such respect here in this country. Like, I don't want to sound like a hipster or, or something, <laughs> but I knew of her from a couple of her smaller French films that mm-hmm. had played the French Film Festival that's in town. Um, and I've always loved her. I think she's a fantastic actress. So I'm so happy that the world has discovered her. But I think somebody had pointed out in someone's tweet about this that that casting director is essentially a nobody. So they hadn't, they haven't even worked in seven years. So why yeah. are we even paying attention mm-hmm. to this person? Well, so I think some of these, uh, some of these outlets that run with these head, these inflammatory headlines are to blame as well for stirring up things that just aren't there, but not saying that the French people aren't like, you know, uh, this sort of way and Mm -hmm. much more forgiving of terrible atrocities. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, the whole me too movement, like that's just not a thing there. Um, Catherine Deneuve, like people are, were shocked to hear her opinions that were not, things that you would think you would be hearing from her. Um, so his statements fall in line with that sort of French culture, mm-hmm. but Adele's going to be perfectly fine. Yeah. Essentially. That's actually, yeah. That's actually something else we were talking about last week was the fact that it feels like France is on the verge of a reckoning 
um, similar mm-hmm. to me too. And I think that in France, it's going to be a lot bigger. I think because, mm-hmm. because they've had, um, even though there's a lot of stuff that's been allowed to happen here, it's been very, very secret, very in the shadows. It's kind of like those, you know, open secrets that we don't talk about. But in France, mm-hmm. it's like so much is just considered permissible that even if you say something, nobody cares. And, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, I think they're on the verge of really paying for that. And I, I think this is, I think what Adele did taking a stand, I think is what's going to really usher this in. So. Well, and I, I read mm-hmm. an article that was, it was, it was a brief interview with her, but she was being asked about, you know, why, why did she, what kind of pushed her to walk out? And apparently it was someone behind her. She heard someone behind her. She was angry. And then someone behind her said something like, you know, hooray for Roman, basically. Oh, wow. And mm. that just, she snapped. And immediately, and and Celine Scalma, who was sitting next to her, was like, get up, I'll, I'll follow you. Like, And so, so that, that sort of spawned the two of them. And then a number of people left. Um uh, but that's that's what set her off was that it was finally like you know what I can't I can't do this I can't just sit here and be mad I have to not be here yeah um so yes sometimes you very... just you have to it's yeah yeah mm-hmm. well speaking of people who walked out <laughs> um <laughs> that was a great transition thank you yeah um mm-hmm. yeah so this week it was announced that hatchet book club was going to our book group was going to be uh, publishing Woody Allen's memoir apropos of nothing and uh, this was big news because they kept it very secret and um, didn't really tell anybody that this was happening until a month before publication date and this is the same group that published Ronan Farrow's book Catch and Kill and as soon as he found this out he was like yeah, no, I'm I'm canceling any future dealings with them. And he, he severed ties. Um, and then a bunch of employees from not just that company, but the larger group, Little Brown, like all over the country were walking out and leaving their jobs. And so that prompted Hatchet Book Group to decide not to publish the memoir. After all, they have canceled it. And, uh, so it's not happening. And I mean, good. (laughs) Well, you do. Yeah. You do kind of, it does kind of raise the questions like guys, you know, given the current culture, given what everyone's been talking about, given Harvey Weinstein being found guilty last fucking week. Mm -hmm. Right. What are you doing? Like, what? what is the thought process behind this? You know, did you actually... They can't have thought that this would pass without comment. So I guess that they... Maybe they didn't realize that they didn't count on the fact that people would be as angry as they were, that the actual employees would be as angry as they were and wouldn't close ranks or something like that. But it just seems like such a tone deaf and such a stupid thing to do. And then, of course, now we've, we're we're into the... Stephen King tweeted about how we can't be muzzling people. It's just like not giving someone a book deal is not muzzling them. He can publish, he can self-publish mm-hmm. the book if he wants to. And you know what? He would probably make money doing it because people would buy mm-hmm. it, right? Mm-hmm. 
And fine, he can do that. That's something that he can do. Woody Allen has all the time he wants to do this. Like that, he can go to another publisher. Other, there might be another publisher that would pick this up. He is not owed a book deal. It is not muzzling him for a publisher to decide not to publish a book. Right. Um, and so, just like the the whole thing again, and the, and we're again talking about the same fucking stuff that we talk about every single time someone like Woody Allen or Polanski or anyone else like this comes up, which is, you know, well, can't we separate the art from the artist? Isn't this supposed to be more about art? It's just like, no, we can't. You know, I'm I'm a big advocate of of analyzing films independent of their makers. And I've expressed my feelings about many of Roman Polanski's films. I absolutely adore a lot of his work. I never want to see him work again. I never want to see Woody Allen work again. This, I do not have to give them my time and my attention and my money if I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And it, it is not their right to get that time and attention from everybody. It is not their right to get the deals that they want. That does not belong to them. If someone says, I don't want to work with this dude because he's a fucking abuser, that is perfectly fine. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. I wanted to read. Yeah. So yeah, so of course Ronan Farrow is Woody Allen's son, and Dylan, his sister, is the one who has been saying for thirty years that he abused her when she was seven, mm-hmm. and um, so she has a quote. This is in the Hollywood Reporter article, which we'll link in the show notes. Um, to each and every individual who, at great personal risk, sorry, great professional risk to themselves, stood in solidarity with my brother, myself and all victims of sexual abuse yesterday, words will never describe the debt of gratitude I owe to you. For someone who has felt alone in my story for so long, yesterday was a profound reminder of what a difference can be made when people stand and unite together for what's right. Thank you so very much. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah. I, I, She's been, she and Ronan essentially have been the only ones in this fight for so many years, and I can't imagine what that felt like yesterday to hear that it was the the hatchet was going to backtrack because Mm -hmm. ultimately this is affecting their bottom line like if their employees are willing to Mm -hmm. quit over it that means that everything they're doing is on hold for a while uh it's going to cause all kinds of business things so people who are saying oh well you know they shouldn't cancel the book deal they're still a business and even if they're not doing it for moral reasons they're doing it for financial ones and they have to do what's what's smart and reasonable for their business. Well, and the and the employees are risking themselves too. Yep. The employees were actually mm-hmm. and and I I think that there was there was a brief article talking about how the the head of, of Hatchet Book Group, whoever the CEO is, was trying to try to have like a town hall meeting with his managers, and none of them would show up. So there was a, a very much a top down kind of thing that was happening that everyone or a large section, not everyone obviously, but a large section of their of their employee base, including the people that were managers and acquiring editors, et cetera, were saying, this, we're not okay with this and we're going to support everybody else who isn't okay with this. Mm-hmm. And that's powerful. That, that definitely says something, I think, very positive uh, about the culture that people are like, this is bullshit and I'm gonna risk myself and my job to say that this is bullshit and that this is not okay and I don't wanna be a part of it. Yeah. Um, that's, that's very brave. Mm-hmm. Courtney, do you have anything to add? I mean, you guys have basically covered it. <clears throat> I don't understand what people, um, like I saw a tweet this morning that you had retweeted, uh, Stephanie's tweet, mm-hmm. about how she's worried about, 
that this is due process or whatever. And it's just not about that. No. And I just sort of come down to the thing of like, what are you asking for? You want to read this book about somebody who's been accused of pedophilia? Like, this is what allows these things to flourish and these terrible these terrible people to flourish. And yes, Woody Allen's had wonderful films, but excuse me, like Lauren, like Lauren said, like, I don't know that I ever want to watch another one of his movies again. Mm -hmm. Um, And the last movie that was put out here, I donated uh, my uh, funds from that to rain just because I felt so, felt like that was the best decision that I could do. And I, of course, called Woody Allen out in the review, too, for, you know, he's been accused of these things. Um, So I did write about that in a way. And we still have to keep them accountable. Um, But I don't understand, like, these sort of, oh, this makes me worried about First Amendment issues and, like, people just being accused and due process, like... I don't see it that way at all. I think, Woody, again, Woody Allen has not been muzzled. He can put this out himself. He can self-publish. He can hire the best PR person in the world. He can hire all of the best people himself. He has enough money to do that. Um, he could stand, I think it was you, Karen, who just said that he could stand to make more money off of this, uh, not being tied down to a book deal because he doesn't have a third party like or a second party taking money away from him he could stand to like have even more money from this thing so he's at a financial gain position now Mm -hmm. um to do this so it doesn't make any sense and i think it's really um what's the word i'm blanking on already and it's such a simple word um anyways i'll I'll think of it later and i'll interject when it's not appropriate um (laughs) But I, I think it's irresponsible, essentially, to send out stuff saying, like, it, it's so crazy, like, that so many people responded to Stephanie's tweet saying, yes, absolutely, that's right. And I don't see it that way. But none of those people who were saying that's right gave an explanation of, not that I want them to sit here and prove to me, like, what they're thinking, but I need some sort of clue of why they're thinking that way mm-hmm. and why they, uh, I, maybe Stephanie will write on it. Um, and explain, like, why she feels that way and give salient points. They may still not be with what I agree with, but at least there's some sort of explanation around of, you know, why she thinks this way. But I just don't understand. There's a disconnect there that I'm just not understanding and why people think it's a due process issue and why Mm -hmm. people, why it's just not. And I know why it's just not. You know what I mean? Yeah. People don't understand what due process actually means. Yeah. And they also mm-hmm. don't understand what, yeah. And they also don't understand what freedom of speech means. And it comes back mm-hmm. to what we were saying earlier when we were talking about Twitter. It's like, sure, you have the right to say whatever you want. Doesn't mean you mm-hmm. have the right to be heard. And there's mm-hmm. difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that, that you have the right to, to, even, to say it without response. Right. And right. You, you very often get that where, where someone says something and just and someone else raises their hand and says, I disagree with that. And they're just like, how dare you censor me? It's like, I'm not censoring you. I'm saying that I disagree with you. Mm-hmm. Like that is that's first of all, that's part of living in a free society. I'm allowed to disagree with you. Yeah. Um, and second of all, it's not censorship to censor. Mm-hmm. Censorship is the government stopping you. 
mm-hmm. from saying or writing or doing certain things. That is what part of censorship is. It means that if I write something, I can be arrested and put in prison, right? That's that's not the same thing as saying I write something and someone responds to me saying that they disagree with me. That's not censorship. Mm-hmm. Taking a book deal away from Woody Allen is not censoring him in any sense he can write that book and he can publish that book it's just saying we are not going to be the people that do it that's yeah. the difference. you could have a better argument about this being censorship or suppressing his rights if hatchet had decided to also retain the publishing rights and say yeah. well we're not going to publish mm-hmm. it and we're just going to hold on to this then that would be a different conversation. But they're not doing that. They're, res- they're returning mm-hmm. the rights back to him. And he can take it wherever he wants to. And it's fine. And I think it's great that the Hatchet employees use their voice and their mm-hmm. power mm-hmm. to make a stand about something they felt passionate about. Like, I saw somebody else's tweet saying, like, oh, they're being self-righteous and what have you. And I was like, no, they're doing the right thing. Like, this is absolutely the right thing that more companies should be doing, yeah. but are too chicken shit to do so. Especially so, think about those first couple of people that did it because they didn't yeah. know if anyone would follow them and they're, right. they could be suddenly out of a job with nowhere to yeah. go. I mean, the publishing industry is changing and there have been, I mean, there was just layoffs announced for a company a couple weeks ago. I can't remember off the top of my head, which one now, but it's like leaving this job did not mean that they were they didn't have a safety net necessarily. They couldn't just walk into the publisher down the hall and mm-hmm. get another job necessarily. And it's not like terrifying. just a school walkout, like right. a school class walkout where, you know, you're still going to have to go to school after. Right. Like this is something that they put their lives and their career, their actual careers that they spent years building like mm-hmm. on and they risked it all to like, it out I don't want to I'm not going to call them heroes or anything but like they did a huge thing that I think is being dealt a complete disservice by people who are like due process mm-hmm. no it's about doing the right thing and I feel like that's so lacking in this world and again what is this world why am I having so many existential exactly. <laughs> problems huh. in one week <laughs> yep exactly um well, something else terrible happened this week. <laughs> we shouldn't laugh. Uh, no, uh, yeah, definitely not. And then let's talk. Funny. Then let's talk about the Invisible Man because yes. that's a good thing. Yes, yeah, we will. We will finish on Invisible Man. But before we get there, um, let's talk about a man who probably this week wishes he was invisible. Um, in BuzzFeed, there was an article that came out uh, in which someone has now accused Timothy Hutton of raping her when she was 14 years old back in 1983 while he was in Vancouver shooting Iceman. And, um, the, yeah, the story appeared in BuzzFeed News. Her name is Sarah Johnson, and she basically said that she was with some friends. They met up with, uh, Timothy Hutton and and a couple of his friends at his hotel. They were in the room, and then she says that at some point... They ended up in a, like, in a separate room, like, in the bedroom, and he raped her, and one of his friends participated in that as well. And, um, there are some questions I had as I was reading this article, and I really wish that there was a second, you know, like, I wish there was another article, too, that looked into this in a different way, but, uh, so far, this is just the BuzzFeed article. The thing is that Timothy Hutton says he 
never ever met this girl and has no idea who she is and she's just an opportunist trying to get money um but in the process of trying to get her to go away his lawyers issued a 91 page statement to buzzfeed as a response um <laughs> 91 pages is a lot <laughs> that's a novella yeah I'm trying to figure out how you can write 91 pages on that. Like, I never like, met that girl. Yeah, exactly. That seems like, you know, a couple of sentences, maybe a paragraph if you really stretch it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess from what it sounded like in this article, it kind of sounded like that those 91 pages were getting into basically discrediting her. And it sounds like it was kind of more of an investigation into her that... Um, mm looking into her past and and some history of potential mental illness or at least accusations on his part of her having some problems. So I think that's what it is. Like they're trying to just discredit her before the story got out. But um, yeah, this is, uh, I, I don't even know where to start with this. One of you guys talk. <laughs> uh, I don't I, 91 pages is a lot, but wasn't this something that was like she came out this years ago too, um, mm-hmm. sort of privately? Yeah. So maybe some of those 91 pages are from the years past, like uh, stuff that's already happened that they legally had at their, uh, uh, you know, at their already on hand. Mm-hmm. Um and so maybe it was just a, oh, here's this lady again, plop, here's this huge pile of notes that we have. Yeah. Um, so it is a lot, but it's not something that, like, this just happened. And they're like, yeah, I've never met that woman. And it's just, like, one page. But here, here is the history of this. That's the only thing I can think of are those, like, 91 pages. Um, not to say anything, you know, giving my allegiance to anybody. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of it. I really don't know what to make of it. Um, I mean, the problem, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions. Yeah. Yeah. The, the problem of this kind of thing is, is always that it very often comes down to he said, she said it becomes, uh, you know, obviously there were other people that were in the room. So, but they are also being accused of, uh, of essentially sexual assault. And, and of conspiring to sexual assault. The, the description in the BuzzFeed article is very disturbing, and it, it's mm-hmm. quite um, detailed. Uh, and it's difficult then to say, oh, she just made all of this up. You know, the, the problem is it follows the same kind of MO of, like, we're going to discredit the woman, she's crazy, I've never met her, and then at, at a certain point very often turns into, okay, I met her, but this didn't happen. Yeah. Well, okay, something happened, but it wasn't this, you know, and then, and I think that, I fear, and I I think that that's probably what we're going to see in the coming weeks as these things change, whether or not that ultimately turns into anything. um, I think that she has filed some kind of, uh, some kind of a criminal charge against him now. Um, But again, this happened. He is investigating it, yeah. So again, this happened years ago, so there may not there may not necessarily be anything that is, is going to come of this or anything like that. I, I think that the default, as we've said numerous times, is to believe the victim first mm-hmm. uh, and then see what comes out later. The problem is there there is a, a strong chance, particularly with something like this, that we're never going to know, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the the truth of it. I don't have strong feelings about Timothy Hutton. Frankly, the the whole description was disturbing enough to me and detailed enough that it seems to me like I don't see any reason to disbelieve this person. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's funny when I was reading this. Not funny, haha, but you know what I mean. Um, because I think he's a very good actor, and I like his work now. But I remember um, years ago when I was first like figuring out who he was and learning about him and saw ordinary people and stuff. Like I remember people saying that he was an asshole, that he just had like a lot of problems in the eighties and in the early nineties and stuff. And like, he didn't have a good reputation. So when I was reading this and I saw, Oh, this was in the early eighties. I was like, well, you know, from things that I've heard about him that checks out. And Mm. he also did pay 130 or offer. I don't know if they, I'm not sure if that actually happened, but he offered $135,000, which you definitely do if you haven't done anything and have never met someone. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. A nuisance settlement is what they call it. (laughs) That's that's what his representatives called it. Uh Yeah. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, at this point, it's been almost... Oh my gosh, almost 40 years. How is that possible? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know how 1983 was 37 years ago, but um, anyway. (laughs) I'm so old, I keep saying, like, I catch myself saying, oh, 20 years ago in the 90s. And it's like, wait, no, that's not right. (laughs) Oh, the 90s the 90s was always 20 years ago. Like, no, yes. it was always 10 years ago. I've finally gotten used to the fact that it wasn't. But Devin Sawa the other day tweeted, uh, 1990 and 2050 are the same distance apart from us. And I was just like, oh my gosh, no, I hate you. Go away. <laughs> That's not okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know what, if anything, will come of this. But I do hope that other people will look into this and investigate it and, mm-hmm. and if 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 this is true if this happened then we need to know that and yeah i, I mean this situation and this 14 year old girl I, it's hard for me to imagine that she's the only one that yeah. this only happened one time ever if it did happen so if there are other victims out there i hope that they speak up um yeah, so let's talk about good things. Or a good thing. Mm-hmm. The Invisible Man. <laughs> because that is how all men should be. <laughs> oh, wait. Not all men. That's right. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, so I talked a little bit about how much I loved it uh, last week. But now I'm going to open this up to, to the two of you. Uh, and we will get into some spoilers. So for anybody listening, if you have not watched The Invisible Man yet, um, why have you not watched it? You should see it and then come mm-hmm. back and finish listening to this episode. So, um, which of you would like to go first? Uh, I'll, I'll start. Okay. I'll start. So I, I actually, I actually saw this. Um, I actually saw, I was intending to go on the Sunday, but I actually saw this the day we recorded last week. So I was like, Ooh, I really want to go see the invisible man. So I went to see the invisible man. I, I thought it was fantastic. I think that all of the praise that Elizabeth Moss has, has received for this is, is really excellent. I think that you, uh, in your review, Karen point out some very interesting things about the way 
that the film uses sort of classical horror film tropes Mm-hmm. And then and and makes makes it scary, makes it tense. You know, there there's some sequences that are just good horror sequences. You know, um, I I love the way that the camera focuses on nothing, and you actually begin to get that presence of Adrian and the presence of her paranoia and her questioning whether or not he's there. And there's that wonderful scene where she's beginning to freak out. And she sits in the corner of the room and she talks to him. And it's not clear if he's there uh, because, of course, he's invisible. But she keeps on talking and she says things like, you know, one of, you know, going back to some of the things that the men have said, had said about uh, this film, she actually does say, why me? You know, you could have had anybody. Why did you choose me? Why are you doing this to me? What is it about me that, that you have fixated on? And I think that it's this wonderful, terrifying, very sad representation of the way that abuse works. And that sense of like, why is this thing happening to me? Why is this, why did you choose, why did you pick on me in other words? Yeah. Um, Sorry. No, I, I was just, I think that it's, that that's, what that that it was a wonderful exchange and the way that she performs it is is incredible yeah i think one of the brilliant things about that com well that you know that question not a conversation but she gets an answer from an unexpected place later when his brother answers it for her and says it's because he couldn't have you and that's why he can't like that's why he needs you back and it was just like whoa like not only was Adrian really there listening to her, but he talked to her brother, his brother about it. I don't think that his brother just assumed that was the answer. I think that they had talked about it and it was just like, uh-huh. it just made it even creepier. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's such a well done film. And I think that it, it does a good job at balancing kind of the, the typical sort of horror film scares with this very real sense of paranoia, the sense of being in her position and the audience knowing the audience knows that that he's invisible. The audience knows that he's present, that she's not going crazy because we see it happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also see the way that the other characters react to her. And so you're actually forcing the audience to be in the position of this gaslit, manipulated and abused woman who is not insane, who is not, you know, uh, having an episode or anything like that, but who can't, who no one will believe because, because it does seem crazy. You know, what do you mean? He's, he's invisible. That's, that's insane, but you know that it isn't. And I think that the film deals with that really well. It deals with some great scares. The ending was one of the most satisfying endings <laughs> since birds of prey, really. Uh, and I was so glad that there's so many different ways that it could have gone. And I'm so glad that the film gave us that catharsis and that sense of justice and it, the, the way that she smiles and looks at him as he's dying, <laughs> I was just so like, yeah, she, he, he knows. He knows as he's dying, just like he knows exactly what has happened and why, and he hasn't won. And I really, really liked that. So, yeah, I, I think that it's a great film, and, and uh, uh, I, I want to see a sequel <laughs> about <laughs> About her, I think we were talking about this, about her going around rescuing other abused women and mm-hmm. just suddenly all of these abusive men are just dying. Like, oh, <laughs> this is weird. They're just like committing suicide, huh? Yep. 
Courtney, what do you think of The Invisible Man? Um, I loved it. I thought it was really well done. I think it has some really, <clears throat> really great inventive scares. Um, and just so simply done. Um, but of course, incredibly, whenever something is simple, it means it's incredibly complex. Um, yeah. So the, his use of, Lee's use of negative space is amazing. One of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is just, where she's in the morning where um, Elizabeth Moss is cooking the bacon Mm -hmm. and she leaves to go get Storm Reed ready and the camera just lingers. And it doesn't, I don't think the camera does like a slow close-up, but it might be like a slow close-up. I think it just stays there static. And it's just the timing of that. um, You're just thinking, is he there? Is he not? All of the tension like is just so compacted because you're like is he there is he not um what's gonna happen like oh my god he's gonna set the house like the house is gonna go on fire we know it's gonna happen and then when it starts to happen it's just like oh my gosh the way these scares build um since we are talking spoilers um i gasped quite a few times (laughs) during this especially the sister at the restaurant yeah it was just so you see the knife hovering and then and it's like, holy shit. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And then like, even, even at the end with his kill that uh, she orchestrates is still gas worthy. There's a lot of throat slitting in this movie. Yeah. Um, But I really enjoyed it. I thought it was incredibly well done. So satisfying. I do not want a sequel. I'm going to counter you. Um, I think that I think it sends a bad message that if she's going around help, like if she's going around killing other abusive men, I think that's bad because it seems like it's just, I mean, I'm not an abuse victim, so I can't speak. Um, but it seems like she would just be out to kill him and have her torture and torment be over just with him. Otherwise, I think it sends a message about a crazy woman and how she's now she's now uh, she's now psychologically damaged that she's got to kill all the abusive men. Um, so I do not want a sequel. I don't think that making her into the invisible woman or whatever is a good idea. I just want it to be just this self-contained thing. Um, but um, but yeah, I really liked it a lot. I think Aldous Hodge is great in the movie too. Um, he looks great. <laughs> yes, he does. Um, uh, but I think he's a great actor too. Um, outside of that, um, and Storm Reed was great in the movie. Like, oh, when she gets slapped and it's sort of like she thinks it's Elizabeth Moss's character doing it. I was like heartbroken. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. Lee Wanell also in the writing also sets up of why you should care about these people and why you should care about their struggle um and even like he makes even though we don't see um uh oliver's uh the actor oliver's character like he still feels like a super imposing presence that like was created um the opening uh sequence is like incredible like i mean we've all seen 90s thrillers that play off that this is obviously biting from but it's just really well orchestrated and uh, constructed and from sound design to uh, cinematography to production design. 
Um, I was worried about the dog. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was like, who's going to feed the dog? Where is he going to go? Is it all gated property? Like he can't go far. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I really liked the movie a lot. Um, I squirmed a lot in my seat. (laughs) I I saw it um, with Jazz Tenke, and we were sitting there eating popcorn, and there were certain times uh, during the movie where <laughs> we both would just laugh as we looked at each other and realized we were just, like, shoveling it into our mouths because we were so <laughs> anxious. <laughs> just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the what I think is really brilliant about the opening, the entire opening sequence where... Uh, Cecilia Elizabeth Moss gets mm-hmm. up and, and she's getting away is the fact that we haven't needed to see the abuse. We haven't needed yeah. to see a fight. And we are instantly on her side. We don't know what's happened, but we know that it's bad and she needs to get out. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think really is done so well throughout the film. And this is what I was talking about that Lauren reference is that there are all these tropes, not just from other classic horror films, but just from, from films and some of real life just in general just situations that are very familiar to us and that we understand instinctively or from experience what's going to happen and so he doesn't have to waste a lot of time filling in those gaps we just know mm-hmm. and i think did it's you... really smart on his go, sorry go ahead yeah no um did you read the i think it was a hollywood reporter interview with lee where he was saying that some test audiences were asking him to include, like wanted him to have more time with the couple, which include the abuse. And he was like, absolutely not. We don't need that. We're not going to do that. Um, And I immediately thought I read between the lines. I'm like, I bet a lot of men were asking for that because they were like, well, can you show examples Mm -hmm. of how she was (laughs) abused? Cause we don't really take her at her. At her, uh, at her worth. So Mm -hmm. I was thinking that, and I was like, "God damn it!" (laughs) So again, spiral (laughs) into existential crisis. I actually would would be interested. I mean, and I I don't think that it would be very difficult to actually do this in a in a really truly scientific way. But to actually find out how many male viewers, or even just male critics, looked at this film and thought that there was an ambiguity about whether or not she was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many female viewers mm-hmm. or critics looked at it and thought that there was an ambiguity? Because to me, there was never an ambiguity. She is obviously right. an abused woman, mm-hmm. and the way that it's all set up—her escape from the house, the use of the cameras, his obsession with her, all of that stuff—the way that he, uh, the way that he breaks the window yeah. of the car mm-hmm. when she's escaped—like mm-hmm. all of that is very. It's it's. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it's subtle, but it's slight. It's something that's just like. We know what the situation is and there isn't really, there was never a doubt in my mind. There was never a like, oh, this film is now veering into the is she or isn't she crazy territory. I was like, no, she is not crazy. Mm-hmm. Everybody else thinks that she is. Right. So it's we know sort- that she's not. Yeah. It's sort of like, um, I thought a lot about, especially when she gets into in, uh, institutionalized, I thought a lot about Sarah Connor in mm-hmm. Terminator yeah. 2 where you're like with her all the way where, you know, she's, she's seen the future and she's got to tell these people who are like these men in the institution, uh, men of note, like here's how the world's going to end. 
And of course she sounds like a lunatic to them, but you know, in her heart that she is not crazy. And so I thought a lot about that sort of um, connection between those two characters where you're like, no, she is not crazy, Mm -hmm. but from an outsider's perspective, yes, it sounds a little nuts, but like, I would be like, okay, sure. How do I help you? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Um, One thing that I was really glad as much as I I really appreciated that he didn't show the, uh, the history of their relationship. I was mm -hmm. really glad that he did show the part where Adrian breaks the car window because later on when they're at the house and she shoots the guy and it turns out to actually be his brother, Mm -hmm. I had a moment where I was really afraid that it was going to turn out that um, that their relationship hadn't been violent and that that there was like a history of her being crazy, that that's the direction Leo and L was going to mm. go. But I kept holding on mm. to, no, he specifically included breaking that car window for us. So uh-huh. that was what I held on to. I was like, no, okay, this is real. This really happened. And I'm so glad that he put that in there because it, it kept me like with him the whole time. Well, and I, a- I, I really liked kind of the denouement right before she decides to go back to the house and have dinner with him. Yeah. Um, the the whole thing, just like, oh, it was his brother. And then and then that conversation about like, well, don't you know? Well, it, it, it was his brother who was doing all of this. So it wasn't really him. It's just like, oh, don't you make him out to be the victim mm-hmm. like that? the fact that she never wavers in that and that her decision, and I would have to see the film again, but I believe that this is true. Her decision to go back to the house and to ultimately, ultimately to kill him um, is also predicated when she looks at her, she's, she's sleeping in the same bed with, um, and I can't remember the character's name. Sydney. Uh, Sydney. Okay. So they're sleeping in the same bed and she sees the marks on her neck. Yeah. Um, and then the next sequence is her, meeting back up with with Adrian and going in to see him and them having that conversation. And I think that that's really powerful also because there is this connection between what not just what he has done to her, but what he has done to other people and what he has done mm-hmm. to uh, to this this innocent girl who has had nothing to do with this, whose crime has been that she was in the same space, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and that these were all things that he either did by proxy or he did himself. Mm-hmm. And that she's just like this this has to stop. This stops, this stops now and I can make it stop. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really powerful. And also showing that final dinner sequence with the two of them where it's pretty obvious that he's crazy, Mm -hmm. that he is a Mm -hmm. violent and Mm -hmm. barely controlled person. And we see that in his performance and in the way that he talks and his hands shaking and all of that, he desperately wants to control her in a very disturbing way. And and you see that. So you finally see the two of them interacting. And you're like, yeah, she has been right the entire time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing I would say about it that I think it sort of is the connection is a little slight is the brother's relationship. Um, not that I wanted it to add, like dwell on anything uh, even more or waste any time because the film is so lean, um, blessedly lean. Um, but the I think he had a point to make there with the brothers, the symbiosis between the brothers and that sort of controlling relationship, too. But that sort of felt a little on the slight side to me mm. um, as far as. Not just who was doing what, because I think Adrian was in that suit a large amount of time. I think 
I sort of read it as like the brother was only in there um, for when she gets, when she shoots him. Um, but I, I think there was a point he was trying to make with like the brother also being a victim of Adrian's abuse too, but I don't really know the substance of that point. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so that's the only criticism I had really towards the movie. Otherwise, I yeah. loved it. There were a couple little things that I was like, oh, I wish that they had done that a little bit better. Like the fact that she gets this letter from the law firm and and says, no one knows I'm here, but they never talk about that again. Um, or the fact that, like, how did Adrian track her down at the restaurant where she's meeting her sister? Like, clearly he's got some way of tracking her that she doesn't know about. And I wish that they had kind of gotten into that. Well, I... Bit, but... I think that some of it, I would have to see the film again, knowing the, knowing how it all comes out, knowing what mm-hmm. all of the solutions mm-hmm. are and everything like yeah. that, just to actually see how these things are connected to each other. Some of what I understood, at least in the, in the denouement, is that both brothers are following her. And so it's anyone's guess where um, the, the one, the younger True. brother is and where Adrian is at any given moment. And I totally so, think that it's him in the jogging in the very beginning when she goes out to the mailbox. I really think that that was him. That's why they didn't show the guy's face. So, so it's, it's, it's mm. her being surveilled pretty consistently, but which one of them is doing it and for how long and where that's happening is, is part of the tension within the film. But again, I would have to see it a second time knowing everything that happens mm-hmm. so that I, you know, to see if, if those things are actually cohesive, if there's any real indication of their presence uh, at certain moments, or if it's just kind of like, well, we're going to assume that one or the both of them is in the room at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I have some, th- some thoughts on that. Cause I did see it again. And like, Tom, the brother, comes to see her when she's at the hospital, and then he leaves. I think that Adrian is there. He's the one that's at the hospital. I think Tom is the one that, when he leaves, then he does go straight back to the house because they have to Mm -hmm. split up, and they have to be able to... I think that Tom was already at the house before uh, she broke out and got there. Now, here's a thought. Mm -hmm. Combining those, do you think that... Every time she sees Tom, Adrian is in looming yes. in the background. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think because that. he seems mm-hmm. Tom thinks seems very squidgy mm-hmm. uh, and sort of like uh, sort of not behaving. Like he seems a little like something is disturbing him. Yes. And I don't think he fully wants to do the things that he's been being pushed and manipulated to do. That's why I think he's another victim of Adrian's abuse. Um, but I think ultimately he winds up coming around and that's why he's the one who gets shot and, you know, unveiled or whatever at the, um, at the house. But I sort of think that maybe Tom coming into the hospital also allowed Adrian in the suit to come into the hospital and Adrian stays to watch over her and then does the whole thing. But then when she gets home or whatever, that's, Tom coming back in the suit because Adrian's called him to be like, you got to get in the suit, buddy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I will say one last thing just about the, the ending, um, mm-hmm. just uh, back on a point that you were making Lauren, but I think that at the end, the reason that she wore wire and brought James with her and he's sitting outside, sort of, like listening in, I think that she was willing 
to not murder him, not kill him yeah. at the end, if he would have just admitted what he did. And then she would have had a recording. They could have taken action legally against him and stuff. But I think she she perfectly knew that he, she knew perfectly well that he was never going to admit it and mm-hmm. that she was going to have mm-hmm. to do what she did and she was willing mm-hmm. to. But there was also that that thought in her mind of like, I'm willing to do this the right quote unquote right way if, mm-hmm. if he does what he should do. Which well, and she encourages him a number of times, just like just tell the truth, mm-hmm. just tell, just mm-hmm. say the truth, and and then he doesn't. And I mean, I I do think that she's perfectly happy to kill him. Oh yeah, I, given oh, everything yeah. that has, that she has gone through and everything <laughs> that, that he has a done. Very she's just like, smile at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's just like okay, you don't want to you don't want to admit this. You're never going to admit it. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. With the suit mm-hmm. that she hid in the secret place that I think that she put in there intentionally because I think she designed the house, which they didn't say, but that's my theory. Yes, so. I, can, I can definitely say that. Yeah. Mm. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Interesting. I love the fact that she was an architect and that she got to be yes. this like, smart person who had a career and, you know, she's going to get to go back to that. I think that's a very good, valid point. All right, so we all say go see it if you haven't, and well, if you haven't, then I hope that you <laughs> we haven't spoiled, just spoiled the crap out you. of you. But if you have seen it and you loved it like we did, go see it again because it's good, and do a double feature: Invisible Man and Birds of Prey. What a then go then go to the bar. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Exactly. So, well, that is going to finish things up for this week. We want to thank everyone for listening. Uh, we all especially want to thank our patrons for. Um, for supporting the show, it's Adriana, the Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Thank you all. You guys rock. Uh, if you'd like to continue the conversation with us in a polite and nuanced way, uh, you can reach out to us <laughs> on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We are on Facebook, sometimes facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. You can send us an email, citizendamepod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website, which Lauren retooled a little bit and it looks awesome. That's citizendamepod.com. And if you want to help support the show, you can um, subscribe on Patreon, patreon.com slash citizendame. We do have some awesome merch in the Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizendame. And if you just want to kick in a couple of dollars and don't want a commitment and don't need stuff in your house, that's ko-fi, co-fi.com slash citizendame. And, of course, you can reach out to us individually. Courtney, where can people find you if they want to say only nice things? Only Um, nice things. Only nice things. Uh, On uh, Twitter, you can uh, follow and uh, reply to me. Uh, At LulamayBell. Same handle on Instagram, uh, where I keep everything nice and clean and professional. Um, Lots of pictures of dogs and opinions of movies that I've seen. Um, but, uh, yeah, those two places are the best ways. You can also occasionally find me on Variety uh, and FreshFiction.tv and Awards uh, Circuit. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. We've really Thanks loved having, having you me. on. And you that are welcome fun. back. Yeah, anytime. Oh, so. yay. I passed the test. You did. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren, where can people find you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. I'm going to go see how bad my mentions are after my uh, 
Roman Polanski tweet. So we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to go look now too. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. And now an interview with the latest Democratic candidate to enter campaign, the woman who savagely murdered Michael Bloomberg on live television. Please welcome Senator Elizabeth Warren. You're not endorsing anyone yet? Well, it's tough. Maybe I'll just pull a New York Times and endorse them both. Now that you're done campaigning, do you have any regrets? You know, not at all. I am so proud of our campaign. We built a wide coalition of teachers, preschool teachers, middle school teachers, and teachers' pets. And not only did I not accept money from billionaires, I got to give one a swirly on live TV. (laughs) 